0: Welcome to Legacy Sport Live, stories of the people who are shaping the conversation at the intersection of sport, business, and purpose. I'm Neil Duffy, co author of our new book, Legacy Sport How to Win at the Business of Sport in the Age of Social Good. Today I talk to Lisa Utman, the founder of Pro Social Valuation Service. Lisa is a pioneer in assigning value to marketing collaborations and has developed the first model to measure the social outcomes of purpose-driven campaigns. Today, she shares with me the journey that got her to where she is today and where she sees the future of sport as a meaningful player in the purpose space. So really excited to have um, someone that I have a huge amount of respect for, Lisa Uckman. Um, Lisa, I don't don't want to make you sound old, but you've been around for as long as the (laughs) sponsorship industry's been around. Um, And I think that's that's a good thing because you've um, seen how it's evolved and and changed over the years. Uh, So if we we go right back to the beginning, Lisa, I'd love to just have you share your story about how you first got involved uh, with sport and the work that you were doing at IEG and around sponsorship measurement?
1: Sure. So um, my first job really out of college was working for the then first ever mayor of a major city, Mayor Byrne won the Chicago election. And during the campaign, I was um, in her press team, I was writing a lot of her speeches And the minute she got elected, her politics kind of changed. Let's say she sold out a lot of the people that, you know, she had made promises to. So I went to resign. And instead, her chief of staff said, why don't you go look into this office of special events, which was basically a slush fund in the city of Chicago. You know, everything turns into political. So it was the hotel-motel tax that prior mayors had used for you know political events basically so here was um then like three million dollars and this is 35 plus years ago which was a lot of money to i decided fulfill many of the promises or some of the promises she made so the first things we did were like the neighborhood festivals that started bringing people from one neighborhood to another neighborhood the jazz festival which became the world's largest jazz festival free jazz festival etc So for me, right away, I went through that $3 million, but I was calling up corporations and saying, you know, I'm calling from Mayor Byrne's office. I did sit right near her office. I was working in her office of special events. Would you like to sponsor this? And it included sports, bike races. We had something called the Chicago Cycling Classic Bike Race. Anyway, corporations loved it. And I was, you know, my first job, I I just invented a new kind of marketing. So From there, after three years of that, I decided I needed to spread the word a little broader and um, started an IEG. Well, what became IEG? There was a year where I'd gone to AdAge's publisher, um, Rance Crane, and said, let's start a joint venture with a newsletter because I didn't have a marketing background. So I thought AdAge would be a good partner. Um, But I bought them out really quickly because they might have been a good partner, but not for me. So um, that was the beginning of IEG. And then, you know, there was no such thing as, quote, sponsorship. Sports marketing was an ad buy on Monday Night Football. You know, it was measured media. There was no, like, unrestricted rights fees paid for intellectual property, for example. Um, So all of that was just based on my experience creating these festivals and sporting events and getting sponsors like I had a blueprint in my mind that was so clear. So I created the way to a lexicon to define terms like rights holder and stancy and all kinds of things that had activation, you know, had no meaning then. And, and then, um, really quickly started doing research on the size of it and who was doing it and, you know, who were the growing categories, et cetera. So, part of all that creating it was really very professorial you know our 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 newsletter our publications our conference it was always to educate and part of that was creating the metrics around it so that it could be done correctly so we created the way to value because you know sponsorships basically an intangible when you buy those five olympic rings you don't get any measured media. You don't get any athlete endorsements. You don't get anything, but basically the right to say you're an Olympic sponsor. That's the intellectual property side. So how do you put a value on that? And one of our first clients for valuation was the IOC. Um, So we got to test all of our models out and then eventually did, you know, like 5,000 plus valuations of um sponsorships and then measuring roi the sponsors then came to us and said well you told us what we should pay now tell us how much return we're getting so all of that background you know led up to many interesting experiences including when a sports entity wanted to go public you know then they needed ieg to help them create the documents to support their um or disagree with but Um, ideas around their sponsorship potential. So there were many applications or when um, an investment firm wanted to invest in publicly traded, say, Formula One, they would come to IEG and say, you know, we're looking at these three things um, within sports, which one do you think has the most potential growth um, with sponsors and fans? So there were all kinds of applications that we didn't even think of when we were creating the products and services
0: so mm. it's fascinating so you you really helped to support the growth of the industry by making it possible for money people to evaluate the return on investment that they were getting out of the investment they put into sponsorship
1: exactly i mean that's um you know without being biased because we always said you know you have to pay us 100% up front we can't have any stake in you know, our findings, recommendations, but really we gave the tools to the believers to show the bean counters that this was a legitimate investment and what in fact it was producing. And even for things like valuation, for a rights holder to go and say, these are the prices of my packages. Again, when everything is kind of just Got no it's not traded in another marketplace. There's no price tag for the rights to use the marks and logo. There's no price tag for you know we will um, put your ID on five thousand t-shirts how do you how do you value that? So we came up with all that, so that gave the rights holders the document to go to the sponsors and say, Here's my offer.' here's the IEG valuation. So at least the focus could turn from worrying about overpaying, you know, the sponsor overpaying to focusing more on, is this the right fit? Then how do we activate this? Right. Because when the focus was just on price, because everyone was so scared they were going to make a mistake, you know, conversations didn't get very far.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so while all that was going on, um, the world was also, changing around us and we you know today if we reflect back on how things have changed this word purpose has started to emerge as a as the kind of um de facto standard for uh, around which business operates um right
1: yeah but
0: but business but sports seems to have been a little bit kind of reticent to embrace purpose at the same rate that mainstream business has What what got you thinking about something beyond what you'd been doing at IG and sort of the traditional measures of sponsorship success.
1: Well, so my whole shtick, okay. To use a funny expression was I, it wasn't called purpose. Okay. It was, for me, it was about public good. So I worked for mayor Byrne out of college because I really public service to me was what I wanted to focus on. And, um, When corporations supported sports, festivals, causes, attractions in a city, to me that made a lot more sense than interrupting people while they're watching TV um, as a way to engage and connect. And it had the additional benefit of making that community stronger, whether it's through social inclusion or social cohesion or um, all kinds of other benefits. So for me, from day one with these festivals, It was, and sports, it was always, always, always about service. So, when everything we created, the way we valued certain things reflected that bias, okay? So, if something was strictly commercial and it was just to promote a brand, you know, like for a while, beer companies were taking beer experiences around in in tours, okay? But I didn't see really a way, yes, it built brand impressions and maybe tasting opportunities, but how is that making this community stronger? It's not. So all our values were set around the idea of service, which is very aligned with purpose. And two other points. One, um, at our second ever conference, so IEG's annual conference for many, many, many years, was a thing in this industry and um at the second one which would have been about 35 years ago now jerry welsh the then vp of global marketing for american express introduced the world to the concept he created called cause marketing he had done a prototype with the lincoln park zoo that said every time cardholders used their card in chicago a donation would be made to the Lincoln Park Zoo. And the results were like 25% higher than any promotion American Express had ever run before to drive card usage. So he then signed on as a sponsor of the renovation of the Statue of Liberty to run this nationally. So that was the beginning of cause marketing. Well, Purpose is just a year round cause platform that's not transactional necessarily, but often has pieces, whether it's through service, or purchase, or test drive, or um, you know, a global citizen gets their audience to write to their congresspeople. So it's civil engagement anyway. And that's been around now for a very long time. And my second point, I know these are long, is that um, Barcelona, Um, let's see, how many years ago? It's got to be over 20 years ago now that we valued the UNICEF deal with UNICEF and Barcelona. We worked with both of them because Barcelona didn't have any idea what to pay UNICEF for the right to put the UNICEF name on the Barcelona jersey. And UNICEF didn't know what to charge. What's the value, again, of intellectual property that's not really otherwise um, sold? So we looked at it in a lot of different ways and ended up using the formula that we created for how much more valuable would that Barcelona jersey be when they went to sell it to a commercial partner after having had the beautiful UNICEF brand on the jersey. And so that was um, like $2 million, I believe, in additional annual value back then. But this partnership goes back over 20 years, so sport has been there, but not necessarily in one unified way. But some enlightened um, sports people have definitely been there for many, many years and in a big way.
0: So, um, as you as we now going into, into Lisa uckman version 2.0 and process yeah, yeah. evaluation and all the stuff you're doing now, to talk about talk about that transition and 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 how that's evolved into. Something that I think is pretty powerful that you're doing right now. Yeah. Measuring social good. Thank you.
1: Well, um, so our clients at IEG included um, FIFA, uh, FIFA World Cup, and, um, you know, they did. An excellent job at getting a lot of money from a lot of brands and sponsors. And um, I was at a conference in the Middle East and met um, one of my longtime idols, Mel Young, who started the Homeless World Cup. And I um, got to meet him and sat down and talked to him and learned that he had like no sponsors. And not only did he have no sponsors, he was really, his hands were tied because FIFA told him if he ever approached, you know, World Cup sponsors, they would take away his right to use the World Cup, Homeless World Cup name. So I got really upset at that. I mean, I just, I just thought it was like, first of all, if I were FIFA, I would have bought Homeless World Cup as quick as I could and made it part of my offerings because if anybody needed. Um, some halo of good at that time, for sure. It was FIFA. Um, And second of all, oh my God, this is a great brand extension. So, um, and their partners would have loved to activate around there, some of their partners. Anyway, long story short, I thought there's something really wrong with the IEG valuation for sponsorship, because if we're basing it just um, from the point of view of Sponsors, fine, but who's looking at value from the point of view of people and planet? And that's when I realized it was time for not an alternative to IEG at all, but a whole new way of thinking about value. What's the value created by an initiative for people and planet? Who's at the table speaking up for them? And there was nothing. You know, we have things like Charity Navigator, which looks at Um, ratios of spending on mission versus overhead. But you know what? I don't really think it's such an important um, metric that charities and nonprofits should live or die and be judged by that. Because if a nonprofit's having amazing outcomes, I don't care if they're spending too much on overhead according to Charity Navigator. So I realize we have like nothing that is looking at outcomes and valuing it from the point of view of people and planet so that's when i well i'd already sold ig but i was still there because you know i had to stay for five years but that's when i started thinking about this idea and i just it was like all over again the way i got so excited with the start of ig i felt like wow social good is where sponsorship was back then and nobody's talking about it with the consistent lexicon and nobody's using, you know, consistent standards of measuring and we could really make a difference here. So um, I started this four years ago and honestly, I never thought it was going to take so long to figure it all out. Um, But (laughs) we finally finished our beta at the end of last year. So it was a really slow, long process because there's just a lot of complications, but now we finished our beta and we're doing other projects and that's fantastic. And we're not just getting, um, you know, clients from sports and arts and festivals and entertainment, but cities and surprisingly corporations. They want us to do valuation of the social good that they are doing, which was not, again, something I anticipated when we created this. It was really to help people like Homeless World Cup, get money from foundations and philanthropy. Because, again, so many of the dollars were going to the best marketers. You know, like NFL Pink Month was getting lots of money, but they weren't necessarily doing the most good for breast cancer. So we wanted to level the playing field and help tell the story for those people doing the most good.
0: Right. So if we get, if we get granular for a second, um, maybe let's talk about Homeless World Cup um, as an example, so in a yeah. sort of traditional sponsorship valuation, you're looking at eyeballs and all the type of metrics that we know we, used yeah. to, we do look at, we still look at. What are the kind of measures that that you assess in something like Homeless World Cup to get to that, that yeah. valuation on social good that Homeless World Cup delivers?
1: So, this was part. That's a great question. How do you do it? Um, so, part of the issue is that nonprofits aren't measuring outcomes. Now, when I started this, I assumed that they had those metrics and we could just put them into some algorithms and like spit out some valuation statement, but it turns out, you know, nonprofits are great at mission, but they're not, they don't have budgets or people to come up with or be specialized in tracking metrics. So with Homeless World Cup, There was some primary research and research that we got from Stanford University and a few other reputable researchers that were tracking participants. um, Were they still homeless two years after participating or not? That was kind of the standard that was used for looking at outcomes there. Was tracking for two years participants from when they joined the program to two years later, If they're off the street, did they stay off the street? And then we also looked at a few other primary outcomes like um, health, healthcare usage and um, arrests and things like that because homeless people tend to get arrested at higher rates because we've criminalized being homeless. And again, this was global, this was in 80 countries. So what we do is we put a dollar value to these outcomes. So what's the value of not being homeless? Again, not to a sponsor, but to public, to the public. So in a company like in Nordic countries, where they spend a lot of money on homeless people, men, women, and children, um, the average value of getting someone off the street might be $32,000. In Russia, where there was Homeless World Cup was going on as well, where they were denying that they even had any homeless people spending was zero. So we had to create this global weighted average to reflect the markets Homeless World Cup was in. After we did the research in all the countries of the outcomes, um, we had to then create what's the value of that to the public in the sense of savings to taxpayers and then looking at other primary outcomes. So it was a long one, but I'm happy to say the results were really great for them. Um, one of the first things that happened was their primary funder was um, had told them they weren't going to renew because a consultant they hired said that millennials cared more about refugees than homeless people. But then um, shortly right after that, they showed them the valuation statement we had just finished and their funder, the foundation, it was UEFA Foundation. They came back for four more years, and they came back even bigger. So they, it like, saved the Homeless World Cup. So that was a great um, outcome. But everything we do is so transparent. Every number is backed by research, and there's a link to a digital file with every single research report if you want to see the raw data in there. So um, it's all very transparent and understandable, and we don't use any multipliers. And we also look at costs. So for example, Homeless World Cup brings people from around the world to one site to compete every year in the event. Well, how much um, fossil fuel is burnt flying all these people in? So we subtract that from the ultimate value. So we look at benefits and costs to people and planet.
0: And so in the case of Homeless World Cup, what was the, in dollar terms, the ROI that gets created by that event?
1: Um, Well, it's going to vary because this thing is every single year, not every four years or every two years. So part of it is based on the country it's it's in because these are going to vary. But I'd say on average, it's about 400%. In other words, for every dollar invested in the event four dollars of social capital measurable social capital is created
0: so um so if i'm a sponsor of homeless world cup i'm not only deriving benefit for my brand through all the positive metric or positive associations that come through being a partner of that event but i'm also having a direct positive impact on society that i can claim some responsibility for
1: so here's a beautiful thing i hadn't mentioned yet with homeless world cup and some of the others we've done we do not include sponsor spending or rights fees in the valuation but if a property sponsors activate in a pro-social way we audit that activation and attribute the value and attribute it to that actual sponsor and include it in the valuation so for example tesco supermarkets Um, They were a major sponsor of Homeless World Cup in in Scotland. So we looked at, okay, the volunteers that Tesco let store employees, um, each store hosted a team. And that involved bringing um, team members to employees' houses or to Tesco um, rec rooms to have meals together. So tesco employee attitudes we did the research around homeless people changed all of a sudden it wasn't that these were like bums but that they just fell on harder times so their attitudes changed which is going to change in terms of future voting and politics etc so that was one of the activation pieces we looked at we also looked at in-store fundraising that they did so this was creating social capital above and beyond the event and this is what their sponsors did. So because of my other background, that, that was that's the only easy part of these valuations.
0: <laughs> right. Right. So, so I love, but I love Tesco
1: loved it. Yeah, yeah, they can issue a statement saying we created four hundred thousand dollars in social capital mm-hmm. for the communities as a result of our activation. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's certainly something that sport hasn't taken advantage of yet is its ability to deliver huge social capital, social good through through its platform, um, and and your what you've done now is created a way to justify an investment to give that return, which is so exciting. Thank
1: you.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So, Lisa, the I mean, all the all this sounds like a lot of work, and, and you know the kind of the default response you get um, when you start to interrogate how how to analyze uh, the return from these kind of social programs as well. It's a long-term thing, and you need to do longitudinal studies, and it's going to take ten years, and wah 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 wah. I mean, from listening to you, it sounds like you've figured out a way of of actually doing something on a more more sort of shorter shorter term basis.
1: Well, we're building all the technologies so that um, it's more automated. So the data research, the the data searches are automated. So one of the issues is okay. A lot of times, you know, Barcelona FC, let's go back to that example with UNICEF. Barcelona FC is a club, and they have, you know, their slogan, um, more than a club, because they're more than about just sport, of course, from the beginning, embedded in their DNA. But what outcomes would you even look to begin to measure for Barcelona FC? Would it be economic impact? I would argue that's bullshit because the money doesn't stay locally anyway and that's not social capital because maybe the person benefiting locally you know with the local store is a racist or a bad person so we don't include economic impact that's kind of what's been done um, for like sports so sports have like all these metrics you know for performance for win loss etc but when they start to think about what do we value in terms of outcomes for people and planet that they draw a blank so one of the biggest sort of eye-opening pieces of this is with arts and sports especially is the taxonomy of outcomes that we should go research we don't know what you're doing if these are being created but these can be because they have been and we have the research to show you other examples so we you know could look at something like You know social cohesion for example does does sport bring together people from different economic spheres and you know different educational backgrounds who would not otherwise be together and unify them or could we say you know no it's a bunch of like racist people that are you know beating up a bunch of laddies or whatever you call them in britain um So it's coming up with these taxonomies. So we've automated pieces of this to make all of that, what used to take us six to eight weeks with a lot of researchers. Um, I can't say instant, but pretty much instant. So it's, it's getting quicker. And we've also embedded research into the valuation process for every property type, let's say. So we don't have to create that from scratch. We know what we have to pull out in order to do the valuation correctly, the custom research. So all those questions are now embedded and we can just give them to our client who could send it to their mailing list or we could go ahead and do it from scratch for them. So it's getting quicker, but it's still a long process. <laughs> I can't say it's instant, yeah, yeah.
0: So so we've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, yeah. Yeah. So as, as you kind of look out into the future, um, sort of what lies ahead, 2030 seems to be a big focus for everybody with the sustainable development goals, um, yeah. having that as the end date. And where do you see all of this, all of this going, Lisa, from a sports perspective? Do you think that sport um, is going to embrace the opportunity to start valuing social capital and making that part and parcel of its um, reason for existence in the world? Where where do you see this all all going? Yeah,
1: so I I think they already have, first of all, athletes are incredibly charitable giving people, you know, just as a group, let's say. Um, So they're leading the way and they have all, all of them have their foundations. And you know, 15 years ago, every sports team had like a community relations department They've now added on to that not just a foundation, but also um, like almost a CSR version, too, um, within sport. And the owners understand that they need to get buy-in from governments and all kinds of other people. And any organization, but especially sport, needs to be not just – great value, but have great values. They have to be adding something of benefit to the world. So I think that the concepts are there. Maybe they're not all measuring it yet that way. They're looking at it more as outputs as opposed to outcomes, but I think that they will get there. And just yesterday, I think I read that Um, An NHL team in Seattle is contributing like 50% of the money to build some railway to the stadium. And then today I read that they're going to be giving any fan that takes public transportation vouchers for free transportation to the stadium. That's what I see the future role of sports is going to be. It's not just going to be in sports and entertainment. It's going to be in helping make cities that they operate in more livable in really important ways. And, um, you know, just valuing that, it would be so fun to do research around people that for the first time took public transport to that NHL stadium. And then as a result of that experience started using public transportation sometimes for their commutes to work. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that the impact magnifies because sport has the platform no one else has to influence and reach so many people. So it's both what they can do as an entity, as well as the behavior that they, their athletes, their sponsors can influence and change. And when you start measuring that, you know, it looks um, really interesting. So I'm very optimistic, 2030.
0: Well, that's a great note to end on. Lisa, thank you for the amazing work you do. Um, Thank you, Neil. I
1: love what you're doing. Thank you.
0: We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Legacy Sport Live, the companion podcast series to our new book, Legacy Sport, How to Win at the Business of Sport in the Age of Social Good. Please visit our website at www.legacysport.org to order your copy of the book and join our growing community of sports business professionals committed to doing good while doing well through sport.